We're in Jude, verses 8 through 16. Don't be fooled by false teachers, okay? If you would stand for reading of God's word, we honor God by standing when we read his word. Likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a, a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, and these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while the feast, they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, as you know by now, this is a book that is commanding us actually to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. And it is important, I want to please never forget, it is important that every generation, every Christian contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Do not be a casualty of the deceivers. Now, last week we talked about God judges rebellion. God judges any rebellion in his creation. We know that at the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know that rebellion is abhorrent to God. And we have three examples of rebellion from last week that these false teachers participated in. So God judges rebellious people. The nation of Israel was an example. They, they, were, they, they refused to go in the promised land because of unbelief. They had a greater fear of the giants than they had a fear of God. They did not believe God, though God did all these wonderful miracles. They refused to believe getting them out of Egypt, and approximately 2 million died in the, in the wilderness during that 40-year period of time. No one over, everyone over the age of 20 passed away. Everyone over the age of 20, roughly a couple million people, died in the wilderness because they had a fear that controlled their, that controlled their lives. Please do not allow fear to dictate your future. Do not allow fear to dictate your future. We have a God that goes with us through everything. Trust him. Trust him. Lean on him. That is what we want to do. Don't allow whatever giant obstacles, whatever fear in your life, get you off course. And believe me, the giants are going to try to get you off course. Don't allow them. Do not allow them. Our God is bigger than any giant. Trust God. And remember this. Our faith, our faith pleases God. Our faith pleases God. What is faith? It's believing and trusting in God no matter what. I will trust in the Lord no matter what. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because those who come to them must believe that he exists. And he is a rewarder, a recompenser of those who diligently seek him. Example number one, God judges rebellious people. Do not allow 
your fear to dictate your future. Secondly, second example was this. They had the rebellion of the fallen angels. Remember, they were judged. Like the nation of Israel was judged, the fallen angels were judged. I don't know if you remember, but these are the Genesis 6 angels who cohabitated with the daughters of men. And from them came the Nephilim. And eventually God says, enough of this earth. The whole gene pool, there's an attempt to be a pollution of the gene pool, at least that's a supposition. And so now he's going to eradicate humans from the earth. And then Noah found favor in the eyes of God. As always, God has a remnant. It got down to eight people left on the earth. That's how successful Satan was at trying to, to, to thwart God's plan of a Messiah coming. And the consequence for these angels that cohabitated, I don't know if you remember, but there's a place called Tartarus in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And it was the darkest of dark prisons that they are confined in. Tartarus. God is sovereign. He rules and he will judge any rebellion in his creation, including angels. And please, the Philippians 2.10, which I've already mentioned, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything in creation will bow before our God one day. And example number three, God judges rebellious lifestyles. And the writer chose the Holy Spirit chose, but uh, Jude said Sodom and Gomorrah was the example. And, and the issue in Sodom and Gomorrah that really was the tipping point for them was homosexuality. We know that in Ezekiel chapter 16, 48 through 50, that there were a whole bunch of things that Sodom was doing, much like America today. But it was the homosexuality and embracing that with the fervor that was embraced in that culture that resulted in Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. Remember, we went through this. Homosexuality is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because God says it's wrong. It perverts God's order for the family. It perverts God's order for the family. Remember, he said in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Husband, wife, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Only a man and a woman can do that. Only a man and a woman can do that. And that was judged. Homosexuality is condemned in Scripture. Those who refuse God's order will be judged. So false teachers, false teachers like the nation of Israel, walked in unbelief. They make up God in their own image, and they were judged by God. False teachers like the fallen angels left their domain, left their proper order, their rank, and they were judged by God. And false teachers like Sodom, like Sodom and Gomorrah, who engage in lifestyles that are counter to God, will be judged by God. Now remember, God's cry, and I preface all of this, God's cry to all humanity, all humanity, not the angels. The angels have no, they had their chance. They're, they passed their chance. But humanity still has a chance. Turn and live. Turn and live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, that the wicked should perish? Turn and live. And that's the heart of God. He is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. So please remember that. When you're, whenever you're thinking about judgment, God's heart is for people. So please know this. Deceiver's character will give them away. The false teacher's character will give them away. This week, don't be fooled by false teachers. They're all over the place, folks. They're coming into your radio stations. They're coming into your TVs. They're coming into your school nearest you. They're coming into your workplace. 
We are hearing things that are counter to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us, as always, to study the precious word of God. Lord, this is truth. This is truth. Please, Holy Spirit, speak to us your truth. Help us to hear from you today things that we need to hear and that we can apply to our lives. Oh, please, Lord, do your work within each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, remember, deceivers don't walk around saying, I'm a deceiver. You don't have a little deceiver thing going around the top of your head going, I'm a deceiver, run from me. I'm a... No, you don't have that, do you? They come in stealthily. They come in through the side door. They come in, they creep in unnoticed. They're counterfeits, and they look like they're real. And again, please, whenever you're thinking about deception, the reason the deception works so well is because there's a mixture of truth with the lie. The truth with the lie. And they get the hook in, and then the lie comes, and you are hooked. Because usually you have a relationship of some sort with the person that is giving the lies, and you just kind of give them, give them leeway. And no, we cannot do that. If you're not true to the Word of God, you run or you challenge or do something. We're responsible to do that. Jeremiah 5.26 said this. Remember, they set traps, they catch men. That is the goal. Set traps and catch men. So this week, Jude tells us, don't be fooled by the false teachers. Their character will give them away. And what is character? What is character? What's well, defined as strength of moral fiber. A person's character is a sum of their dispositions, their thoughts, their intentions, desires, and actions. One man said this, and tell me if you don't think this is true. A person's character is who they really are when no one is watching. That's character. That's character. These false teachers, they were deceivers. They are not who they pretend to be. They mix truth with lies, and that's what makes them so dangerous. In verse 8, we see this. Don't be fooled by the false teachers. Check out their character, and there's going to be three things. Remember, Jude gives triads, three things at a time. Well, these three things start here in verse 8. Likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh. That's number one. Secondly, reject authority. Thirdly, speak evil of dignitaries or glories. So number one, defile the flesh. Remember, it's a character issue. They are defiling the flesh. De and that word actually means to defile, to smear with filth. There are no restraints on their fleshly urges. They look good on the outside. They sound good on the outside. They're tricky. They're fooling. They're going to give you the right words, anything to hook you in, but they're morally depraved morally bankrupt. There's no struggle within their being about being pure or clean. They just give in secretly. It's going to be secretly, so you're not actually seeing it quite secretly, but they, it's, a, it's a constant moral struggle. No restraints on the flesh. Smear with filth. The second thing is they reject authority. And then again, it's a character issue. Whenever you have trouble with authority, there's usually some deeper issue. The, the feeling of no one will rule over me. And guess what? There's accountability at every level in life. When you're a child, it's to the parent. When you are a parent, you're responsible to the other parent. Your husband and wife, there's a responsibility. I can't go do whatever I want to do in life. I have accountability with my wife and she with me. There's accountability in the church. There's accountability with elders. There's always accountability at some level 
in workplaces and everything, there's accountability. But this feeling of no one will rule over me, that's, the fe- that's what these false teachers did. No one will rule over me. No accountability. And I will say, I've shared this poem before, and it's very familiar. You'll, you'll know it when I share it. It is Invictus. It is the battle cry of the flesh. Ernest, William Ernest Henley said this. Now listen, it sounds great. They made movies out of this. Invictus! We are great and we are wonderful, like Spartacus, you know. It sounds great, but listen to the self-absorption of this poem. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Oh, how great I art. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of, place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade. That's actually a kind of a euphemism for death, the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And you can just write down L-I-E. You are a captain of nothing. God rules. God is sovereign. No one will have authority over me. That's what, the, that's what these false teachers are saying. And finally, that's a character issue. They speak evil of dignitaries. That's glories. The word is doxa. Doxa. And it's a person of honor or renown. And they, listen to this. They degrade all who will not embrace their deception. The fault, you do not embrace our deception. You are ignorant. You are intolerant. You, what, what words do we hear today? You're a hater. If we don't embrace a worldview that is being promulgated by the culture around us, you're intolerant, you're a hater, you're ignorant. And then there's a word that has come, become very popular, misogyny. I had to go look it up. And you know what it is now because it's all over the news. And that, you know what misogyny is? It means, it means this. It means contempt or prejudice against women. Christians or Christianity is accused of being misogynistic. Now, Christianity, Jesus Christ has freed, has freed women. Look at all over the world. You look at Hinduism, you look at Buddhism, you look at, you look at Islam. Women are enslaved. You look at communism, enslaved. Christianity has been set free. They've been set free. The biblical, in biblical Christianity, we view it as complementarianism. That's it's a nice little word there, complementarian. All that it means is that God has specific roles for men and specific roles for women, and neither are better than the other. There's just roles. There's just roles to play. Remember, there's different roles. There's different roles in the Godhead. There's different roles in the angelic realm. We'll be talking about that more later. But false teachers have character issues and they will speak evil of anyone who does not agree with them. Speak evil of them. In verse 9 and 10, don't be fooled by false teachers' big talk. You ever have anybody give you a lot of big talk? Oh, yes, I am great and I am wonderful. Big talk, verses 9 and 10. Yet Michael the archangel, contending with the devil, when he disputed with the body of Moses, isn't that interesting? dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. Oh, big talk. 
Big talk, the devil, big talk. Watch this. Big talk is reviling accusations, slanderous accusations. I think it says in the NIV. And this is control language, folks. And watch this. Michael had no big talk. There was no big talk with Michael. He is an archangel. He has a great authority. And I want to show you more about this in just a minute. But I want you to think about something. In the, in the 60s, John Wayne was big. Big John Wayne. And he made a movie called Big Jake. And in the movie Big Jake, he said this. Big talk does not make a big man. <laughs> I said, I love that. Big talk does not make a big man. Look at Michael is an archangel. He knew his order. God is a God of order in the Godhead, in the angelic realm, in the human realm, and every realm is a God of structure. Michael did not speak evil of the devil. That's a good thing to learn. We don't bring slanderous accusations against the devil, but the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Remember, God is a God of order. There's roles. In the angelic realm, I just wanted to review this with you. Just a little side note here. In the angelic realm, there is, there is a very defined structure. There is something called cherubim, or cherub. Cherubim is the plural. I am is the plural. And it's the highest order. And those are the ones that guarded the throne of God or covered the throne of God. And guess who was the highest of the cherubim? Satan was the highest of the cherubim. He was called the anointed cherub in Ezekiel 28, 14. In Revelation 12, 4, he was so influential that he took a third of the angelic realm, who knows how many that is, demons that are out there, with him when it is rebellion in heaven. That's how charismatic this anointed cherub is and how much influence he had with the angels that had been in the presence of God, yet chose to go with him. Never underestimate his cunningness. Never underestimate how influential he is. The second, second order is seraphim. And the seraphim are the ones that surround a throne, and they are the ones that you see worshiping God, responsible for worship. Remember, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, we see in Revelation. And then there are archangels. Michael is, is the one that is mentioned in Scripture. But I want to suggest to you, in Daniel 10.13, we see that when Gabriel was having problems, Michael came and helped him. And it says that he is one, he is one of the chief priests suggesting that there are more than one archangel. And what is Daniel's job? He watches over Israel, Daniel 12.1. And I'm suggesting that there are archangels that probably are watching over different venues, different governments-type things on earth, on earth. So there's more than one archangel, just that he is the only one mentioned. And then there are messenger angels, Gabriel being the one that's mentioned in Scripture. And I, I want you to think about the angelic realm. In, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 through 12, we read about Jacob. And he get, there's some interesting insight here. It's, it's Jacob's ladder, and if you taught a Sunday school class, you know all about the angels coming up and down. But it's a really interesting view of how angels participate in earth. Now, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. Interestingly enough, this is the first patriarchal dream recorded in Scripture. And behold, a ladder was set down, or a staircase was set down upon the earth, and it, it, 
and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on this staircase, kind of implying that angels are constantly being sent to intervene on your behalf. All the time. We don't see it. They're behind the scenes. But remember, there's an interesting scripture in Hebrews 13, too, that we have entertained angels unaware. You don't know when you've bumped into one of these dudes. And remember, they're always dudes. They're never dudesses. When you see, when you see a picture of a feminine angel, that is not a proper picture. Okay? So, that's the thing on angels. Notice how Michael, a powerful archangel, deals with the devil. There's no big talk. No, I rebuke you because I'm an archangel. He doesn't do that. He says, the Lord rebuke you. That is something that we can learn from. The Lord rebuke you. No slanderous accusations. No binding. No demanding. Look, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, what do we do? The armor of God we put on. We could go through all those pieces. We don't have time now. The armor of God and resist. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And in your armor, you have one offensive weapon, and that is the word of God, which you must memorize and put into your hearts and put into your mind as your weapon against this enemy. That is your weapon. It's not your slanderous accusation. It is the word of God that you give to the enemy. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. It is written, it is written, it is written. And we must do the same thing. And guess what? It takes discipline to memorize Scripture. But my suggestion is, hey, be at it. Be at it. It might take you a month, but get, get, get a Scripture down. Get it down. Be persistent. Always be memorizing something. So, false teachers, deceivers, have no respect for God's order. Remember how they view themselves. They're great, they're superior, they're wonderful. They have no respect for God, no fear of God. Kind of looks like America today, doesn't it? No respect for God, no fear of God. Get out of here, God. You can go in your corner. If we need you, we'll call you. That's not God. God is the one that is in charge. He is the one that is sovereign. And remember, what makes the deceivers so deceptive is they mix truth with lie. Truth with lies. Deceivers speak evil of what they do not know, like brute beast. When a person abuses the word of God, they are like brute beasts. A false teacher's hallmark is this. They will always distort the word. They will always distort the word. Cults are masters at this. Remember rule number one of, here comes another big word, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. All hermeneutics means is how we interpret Scripture. How we interpret Scripture. Hermeneutics. How we interpret Scripture. Rule number one, most important rule, context, context, context. Take the thing in context. What is God saying? Who is he speaking to? What is he talking about? Where is he talking about? Who, what, when, where, why? That, that, those questions have to be answered. D.A. Carson says this, a text without context is a pretext for a proof text. Let me say that again. A text without context is a pretext. You know what a pretext is? It's an excuse to support a point. It's a pretext for a proof text. False teachers frequently use scripture out of context to prove their point. 
False teachers abuse the word of God like brute beasts. Remember, they mix truth with lies, and the goal is to trap you, to ensnare you, to get you in to their trap. Don't be fooled by the big talk, folks. Don't be fooled by the big talks. Remember, they masquerade. Satan masquerades as an angel of light and as ministers of ministers of righteousness. Oh, don't be fooled by the, by the smooth rhetoric, the big talk. Verse 11, don't be fooled by the false teacher's ways. Now look, at when you're going down a road and it's the wrong way, you got signs that are saying wrong way, wrong way, wrong way. Well, now you're going to see three wrong ways. Three wrong ways in verse 11. Woe to them. And when you see woe, that is massive grief to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So he gives three wrong ways. Three don't go this way. These are the roads that the false teachers take. And he gives the examples. Number one is the way of Cain. And the way of Cain is anger seeking your own way. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Now, we haven't talked about Cain and Abel and those guys in a long time, so you get to hear a little bit about it today. After the fall, Adam and Eve are dismissed from the garden. They start a family. The first child that's born is Cain. We pick it up in verse 2. Then she bore again. This time, his brother Abel was born. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry. That's a bad attitude, isn't it? Very angry. That's a bad attitude. He was offended, and his countenance fell. And that's always the result of sin. Very angry, countenance falls. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And it's interesting. Watch this word usage. And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you do what I have told you to do, will you not be accepted? I think, God, I think they knew exactly what they were supposed to bring. I think that Cain freelanced. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a farmer. That's a wonderful profession. And so was the sheep breeders and that sort of thing. That's a wonderful profession. But God wanted the blood sacrifice. He wanted the right sacrifice. And watch what happens. If you do not do well, sin lies at your door. That is, the, that is the truth for all epochs of time. If we do not do what God says, sin lies at our door. Now notice who he gives the responsibility to. And his desire is for you. It's a trap. He wants to trap you. He wants to snare you. He wants to bring you in. But you should rule over it. I love the NIV says, you should master it. You must master it. It is up to you. God has given you, particularly in this epoch of time, the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us that sin should not be our master because we have someone that's greater in us than is greater than in the world. We just need to walk in that. We just need to walk in that. So with that, Cain sought his own way. He ignored God's prescribed way. Abel brought a blood sacrifice because he was a shepherd and it was accepted. Cain brought a fruit of the earth and it was the wrong sacrifice with the wrong attitude. 
a wrong sacrifice with the wrong attitude, and he was angry, he was offended. And you know what that ended up being? The first murder. He kills his brother. Now, can you imagine these guys, they must have had a special bond. And for Cain to kill his brother, that is the ultimate in anger and offense. To someone at one point he must have been really kindred with. But this jealousy must have been incredible. And who do you think is behind the scenes stirring that up? The demonic realm. Satan, you bet. And he killed. He killed his brother. Now, I want you to think, think about this. Many today seek God their own way. I'm on my own path. I'm, just, I'm spirit. Ever hear this one? I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. That's, that's a very common thing. A very common thing for people to say. And they're choosing their road. This is directly against God's order. They're making God in their image. They're making a little God that they control. That makes them God, doesn't it? That makes the person God. Well, that's wrong. Look, there's one right way to God. A whole bunch of scriptures that you could use for this. Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in by it. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Few who find it. Jesus said, I am the door in John 10, 7. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me in, in John 14, 6. And in Acts 4.12, 4, he says, Salvation is found in no other, for there's no other name given among men by which someone can be saved. None. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and him exclusively. Most people, unfortunately, particularly in this country, and it's not just here, it's all of Europe, it's all in the Western Church, okay? Australia would be part of that. All of that, people aligned with the West are biblically illiterate and worship of God of their own making. Can you see why it is so important for people to be taught sound doctrine, sound teaching? It is essential because these people are slick. They will come in and hook you. You must be biblically sound. So do not be fooled by the false teachers. Be grounded in the truth. Then the examples continue, and we won't go to each one of these scriptures because Balaam is in Numbers chapter 22 through Numbers chapter 25. Well, we would never get through that. But Balaam is an interesting guy. He's a false prophet that is truly hearing from God, and is to it is told several times by Balak the king to curse the Jewish people, to curse the nation of Israel. And every time he tries to curse them, God won't allow it, and he blesses it. The people. It's just an amazing thing. Until finally, Balaam comes up with this sinful thing to do. And he says to Balak, we'll, we'll, we'll have them intermarry or get, get with the women of the, of the culture. And that's what happens to them. And in Numbers 25, Israel's immorality results in 24,000 people dying. 24,000 people dying. That's the way of false teachers greed, profit. Payment, power. Then there's a way of Korah, who rejected God's leadership choice. Envy was his problem. I want what you have. You find that in Numbers 16. What did he want? He was jealous of Moses and Aaron having leadership in the nation of Israel. And he says, I want to be a leader. And he conspired with a whole bunch of other guys and said, okay, let's, let's, they shouldn't have all the limelight. They shouldn't have all the power. We're as good as they are. We're as good as they are. 
And what happens when that core rebelled? And a whole flurry of people die from that outing, 15,000. He wanted what wasn't his. He was envious. That's the way of false teachers, folks. False teachers are cut out of the same cloth as these guys. They did their own thing, and they rebelled against God's ways. They go their own way. They're out of order. They are angry, they are greedy, and they are envious. That is at the root of all false teachers. Verse 12 through 13. Don't be fooled by the false teachers. They ultimately bring uselessness and chaos. They're going to promise you the world. They're going to promise you everything. They're going to promise you the world, but they're ultimately going to bring to you uselessness and chaos. Let's read it. These are spots in your love feasts. We'll find out what that is momentarily. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Let that resonate. Darkness forever. That's a tragedy. Spots in your love feast. You know what love feasts were? They were fellowship meals. We would call them potlucks today. They were usually associated with the Lord's table, with the Lord's supper. That's what they usually were. Spots in your love feast. And this spots, actually, when you look it up in the Greek, it, it means hidden reefs, submerged rocks. They sneak in, but yet they're reefs that will rip out the bottom of a ship. You don't see the danger until it's too late. They can sink ships. They can sink your life. And folks, they can sink a church. And they sneak in, and they're like reefs that just ship hits and didn't have any idea that it was coming. Oh, be very careful of the false teachers. They're clouds with no water. They're useless. Trees with no fruit. They are useless. Useless. And then they always bring some element of chaos. Raging ways. They teach what is repulsive to God. And chaos always follows them. They'll put it around in peace. Oh, come here and experience the peace, the tranquility. But it will always bring chaos of some sort. They are wandering stars like shooting stars, here then gone. The light that was promised by false teachers does not last. It burns out quickly. And all that's left is darkness. A ruined life in chaos. Those who willingly lead people astray, hear this, those who willingly lead people astray, away from Jesus Christ and who he really is, the real Jesus, their destiny is blackness of darkness forever. That's why James 3.1 has a warning. It has a warning to everybody that wants to be a teacher. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. Why is that? Because teachers influence. And that is why it is imperative that who's ever doing the teaching, who's ever doing the teaching, I'm doing the teaching here. You're a Bereans. You check out what I'm saying. But my responsibility is this, is found in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Rightly divide the word of truth. Cut straight the word of truth. 
say what it says. See, it's very difficult here uh, to go through some of these subjects. Some of these things aren't so pleasant, are they? False teachers, sin, hell. That's not happy, happy, happy. It's nice if you're avoiding it and you get saved out of it. That's, that's happy, happy, happy. You get saved. But, but these are subjects that most people don't go over. You won't go to your traditional church and hear, hear this sort of thing because it's not happy, happy. What Americans want. What Americans want. Hell is forever, folks. It's not temporary. These are very serious things that we study. Have very serious consequences. Look, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is the worst consequence of all. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have gone through everything that God can throw at you to keep you from hell. You have gone through his Holy Spirit coming to you over and over and over. God loves you. He calls you. He pulls on you. He's drawing you to himself. He says, come, come, come. It's constant. It's kind of, I don't know when you weren't saved, but when I wasn't, when I wasn't saved, I was, I was always going, oh, oh, oh. Oh, another tug. Oh, I don't, I don't think I want that now. I don't, but, you know, eventually, eventually you have, there's a time when you have to say yes or no to God. Yes or no to God. So, don't be fooled by the false teachers. They will ultimately bring you chaos. The ultimate chaos is darkness forever. Verse 14 and 15, don't be fooled by the false teachers. Look at they are doomed. They are doomed unless they get saved. Now, anybody can get saved. Look, at God is, is willing that none should perish, but all should. You can be a false teacher and be saved and start teaching the truth, okay? That's, God can save anybody. But if you stay in that, that venue of false teaching, you are doomed. You are doomed. It says, it says it here in verses 14 and 15. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. Let that kind of ring in you. The Lord comes. The Lord, he is really coming with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and, all, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, against him. Remember, in Matthew, says, we are accountable for all of our words. Be very careful what you say. <laughs> very careful what you say. Now, again, this is a quote from Enoch, and we went through this in the introduction. It's one of the apocryphal books. It's one of the pseudepigrapha. But it has some truth in it, and the Holy Spirit decided to use this, and Jude used it for an illustration. Judgment is sure. The Lord is coming. There is a real second coming to the earth. Now, more and more people, particularly in this time frame, when I was growing up, this wasn't a problem. Most people believed somewhat in God. Most people had a God conscience. Most people had, had, had some form of thought of heaven and hell and Christ coming and that sort of thing. It does not happen that way now. You are living in a mission field now. This is a foreign mission field that you are in. Second Peter says this wonderfully. This is what we hear. This is the warning that we hear. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come. You know what a scoffer is? That's a derider, a mocker, someone giving you false information, a false teacher. They will come in the last days. 
The last days are from the first coming of Christ to the second, but they accentuate. It accelerates as the coming comes closer. It's always existed, but it's accelerating as it comes closer. Walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, and by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with the earth. They forgot about the flood. They forgot about the creation. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Look it. There's going to be a time when this whole earth is destroyed, and it will be destroyed by fire. Things are not the same. Things are changing. And these people say, it's all been the same. No, it has not been the same. Now, why does Jesus come to this earth? Hopefully you can answer this readily. But number one, it is to put an end to evil and the evil one. That's 1 John 3.8. He's going to destroy the works of the devil. And the second one is to establish his rule over earth. And in Revelation chapter 11, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of, of God and his Christ, and he shall reign forever. He is establishing his kingdom. It's a forever kingdom. To establish his kingdom. It's a thousand-year millennial reign kingdom. Isaiah chapter 9, which is a Christmas verse that we've gone through several times and applied it this way, actually, says this. Watch this. He's establishing a forever kingdom. For unto us a child is born. Who is that child? Jesus Messiah. And unto us a son is given. God gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the government all oh, will be upon his shoulder. He's going to be a ruler. He's going to have dominion. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, always the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. See, there's not going to be any other world kingdoms rise up. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it. God is a God of order to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God will do this. This is his word. It will happen. And it's getting closer all the time. Folks, the king is coming. The king is coming. There will be no more faulty human kings. Remember, there's seven kingdoms that have been established or will be established on earth. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. That's what we're in now. East and West, we have culture clashes, East and West. The countries may change, but the clash continues. And then there will be a ten-nation confederation that is established. That is the seventh. And that's going to be led by the Antichrist. And Jesus Christ will come and destroy that and establish his kingdom, which will reign forever and ever and ever. If you ever said amen, that would be time to say amen. That would be an amen time. Yes. Thank you. Now, guess what? Who comes with Jesus? We do. Yeah, you do. That's right. Jude says 10,000 of his saints, but in Revelation chapter 19, we get a, more, a little clearer picture of this. Now he says this, Revelation 19, 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. Oh, Faithful and True is coming to this untrue earth. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's the, that's the blood of his enemies. We see that in Isaiah 63, 2 and 3. And his name is called the Word of God. Well, who is the Word of God? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is Jesus Christ. And the armies in heaven, and, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. Guess what? In Revelation 4 4, you, we, usins, are clothed in fine linen. We're coming back with the king. Yes. And the armies clothed in fine linen on white horses, clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, the word of God, and he would strike the nations. All he has to do is speak. Speak and it's done. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of fierceness in the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our Jesus. And you know what he does right after that? He puts an end to the Antichrist. He puts an end to the false prophet. They get to go into the lake of fire forever. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 20, verse 1, a single messenger angel with the authority of God, the exousia of God, binds Satan and puts him in a pit for a thousand years. That's our God. He rules. Jesus is coming. That no one tell you that mankind rules this thing. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Hey, I'm getting excited about this. He's coming back. And look, we're, we're spectators. Hey, you, when you go to Tiger Stadium, do you want to sit at the top in the very back watching the little dots run around the field? Or do you want to be the spectator right on the front row, third baseline, you're watching everything, or behind the catcher, you're seeing everything? That's us. We're on white horses. We're going to get a bird's eye view of this whole thing. You talk about taking a trip. I never had a vacation before. What a vacation. Go to heaven. Come back. Watch this show. <laughs> yes, verse 16. Don't be fooled by the false teacher's ways. Oh, yes. Okay. Verse 16. Another triad. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust with and mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Look at they spread an undercurrent of unrest. They cast doubt. Always remember this. Grumblers and complainers. God hates murmurers. But this hits me right in the heart. Because I'm a murmurer. I, I would be in that desert going, oh the manna. More manna. Yeah, I would have been one of the guys that died. That would be a, it's a miracle. I have to live in this dispensation, this time of grace. And so do you, more than likely. Grumblers. Rain, oh yes. Spread discontent. I want to suggest to you the marketing schemes in this country are designed to make you discontent. You know that, don't you? Why, you have a 2018 car. You need the 2020 that's coming out. Those are marketing schemes. Marketing schemes. Grumbling. Complaining. Remember, negativity spreads like mad. The 12 spies that went into the land, the 10 that came back spread the negativity. The two couldn't combat it, Joshua and Caleb. The negative, see, we're programmed for negativity. In our fallen nature, our negativity just comes out. That's why it's important to, to you know, 
I don't believe that your words create your reality and that whole word faith thing, but there is something about speaking positive things to your being. There's something about speaking truth to your being. Don't be a grumbler. Don't be a complainer. Our depraved minds are tuned into the negativity. And just look at the, re- the success of negative politics. Instead of somebody getting up and saying, this is what I believe, you won't get elected that way. What you have to do is say, this is what that dude believes. And Negativity, it spreads like mad. Always finding fault. And it's usually finding fault with the old. Ever see, ever realize how much the new is in? How young is great and wonderful? New, young, terrific. Follow the new thing. How about God is doing a new thing? He's doing a new thing. Catch it over here. Catch the wave over here. Run to Toronto. Run to this or run to Pennsylvania. Go all over the place looking for the move. God, look, the Spirit of God is right here. He lives within your heart. He lives within your heart. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I do not change. I do not, God is going to do a new thing. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. <laughs> Things are going to change. There's a new world coming. But don't buy into the new thing, the hip thing, the up-to-date thing, the current thing. In politics today, mark my words, the old is up. The new, oh, they're going to be in. Dissatisfaction continues. Because what is new really becomes old. As soon as it's new, it's old. You pull your new car into the driveway, it's old. It's considered old by the dealership, that's for sure. You can't not take it back and get what you paid for it. Yeah, Solomon knew a little bit about dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes 1.9, he says, There's nothing new under the sun, and he experienced everything Solomon did. Multiple wives, he deprived himself of nothing. He had a penchant for more and more and more, and it never satisfied. Look at, look at, some people grumble and complain. If I only had a new car, if I only had a new house, if I only had a new wife, a new husband, if I only had a new job, I know I could do better if I had a new job. How about if I had a new church? Only if I had more money. More money, that would do it. Wouldn't it do it for sure? Everything would be right. Look at, these are people, false prophets are people who will try to sell you the future with swelling words and flattery. They're called deceivers. It happens in the world. It happens in the church. Deceivers. Deceivers peddle a new spirituality and tell people what they want to hear. And people love it. What do people want to hear? God wants you happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy to you, yes. It's all about you. He wants you prosperous. He wants you enlightened. Remember, he is the God that will give you everything. He'll give you all of your dreams, your best life now, and people eat it up. People eat it up. Great swelling words, flattering to take advantage. That's what flattery is, by the way, to take advantage, to take advantage. There are always those who are willing to accommodate you to gain advantage. We know in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you're very familiar with this scripture. Don't... You don't even have to turn there. You probably have it memorized in your, in your memory ranks. Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful understanding. The time will come when one will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. But you, Timothy, don't be like that. You continue in your ministry to be an evangelist. Be watchful. Endure afflictions. Do the work. 
Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. Don't get caught up in the marketing schemes of this world. Do what you are called to do. And that's not easy when you're inundated 24-7 with info or the info overload generation. Yes, Timothy speaks of these. Don't be fooled by the false teachers. In conclusion, don't be fooled by the false teachers, folks. False teachers' calling card is deception. Somebody wrote this, and I actually tried to find out their name, but I couldn't find the name. But they wrote this about deception. He says, a deception is often something that looks good on the outside and makes great promises, but on the inside you find it is empty and there's not really much to it. Most of us at some point or time have bought into an empty deception. He gives an example. We put our money into a machine, pushed a button for a bag of potato chips that, judging from the appearance of the package, looked like it was chock full of potato chips. When the bag comes out, we open it and there goes the air and only a few chips. If we had examined the bag closely making, before making the purchase, we would have seen that it's an empty deception. An empty deception. The Colossians are an example of believers who are in danger of buying into empty deceptions. And the Colossians are mirroring, or America is mirroring what has happened in Colossia. Watch this. Chapter 2, verse 8. And this is in the NIV. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. You know what captive is? The word captive means this. It means to lead away as booty. Remember what the word booty is? You, you destroy a kingdom and you take all of the stuff where you are considered booty in the spirit realm when you are drawn away from the truth. And the demonic realm goes, ah, that's my catch. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow deceptive philosophy that depends on human traditions or the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. It goes on to say, in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily forms, and you are complete in him. You are complete in him. That's who we are. We are complete in him. Don't be taken away by this world. Don't be taken away by the philosophies of this world. Don't buy into the wisdom of this age. Don't buy into it. The zeitgeist, the wisdom, the God of this age, don't buy into it. Remember their character, thinking about false teachers. They defile the flesh. Remember their big talk, reviling accusations. Remember their ways, their ways of, of Cain, anger, Balaam, greed, Korah, envy. Remember the chaos that they will bring into your life. And not only into your life, you buy into this stuff, it's going to affect your families. It's going to affect your friendships. It's going to affect everything around you. Your whole life is going to be chaotic. And remember, their doom is sure. Jesus is coming. Oh, the king is coming. You know, if I could sing decently, you know, I'd go, the marketplace is empty. No more traffic in the street. Builders' tools are silent. No more time. The king is coming. The king is coming. Thank you, Lord. John Corson, I'll, I'll close with these words that he gave on false teachers. He said, the same problem Judah's addressing affects the body of Christ today. False teachers mouthing great swelling words continue to peddle their phony doctrines to anyone who will listen. If you've been walking with the Lord very long, you know that as soon as one strange wind of doctrine blows through, another one is sure to follow. There's always someone that sets snares 
sets traps to catch the people of God. There's always someone. Don't be fooled by the false teachers who mix truth with lies. And remember this, there's always some real cheese in a rat trap. There's always something there that looks real as it gets ready to go pop on top of your head. Don't be fooled by the false teachers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. You've allowed us to study your word. Lord, this is, the again, as we always say, it is the precious word of God, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, is one that directs my steps, and one that tells me about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and how much he loves and cares for us. He loves us so much that he's warned us about these things in advance. He's warned us about what to look for. We've gone all through this in First and Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John. We've gone through this now in Jude. This God warning us. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to be caught off guard, doesn't want us to be trapped, doesn't want us to be snatched away. Oh, Lord, please speak to each one of our hearts. If there's any compromise that we have, anybody in here with a compromised part of their life, oh, give it to Jesus now. Give it to Christ now. He is the one that can carry your, your, your burdens. He is the one that can free you, totally free. Remember, he whom the Lord has set free is free indeed. Be free and walk with him. And walk with him in truth. Thank you for this time, Lord. Please do your work in each one of our hearts. Help us to do some introspection. Look within ourselves. Change us, God. Change us. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.